Blessed be the name of the Lord. I had an unusual week this week. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can begin to find 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from here in just a moment, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. But we were on the road this week. It was my grandson. I have one grandson. His name is Jude. As is the case with most grandparents, we feel like our grandson is the most handsome baby in the earth. And that's every grandparent's viewpoint, and we are no different. But we celebrated his birthday. He was three years old. Hard to believe. He's getting old. and So we were down, and we celebrated. And then we made the trip. My, uh, my youngest child, and it's my only daughter, Kaylin, is returning to college at Southeastern for her senior year in college. So that was sort of mixed emotion as well. You can't believe, you know, there's one part of you that says, wow, they went through college so quickly. There's another part of you that says, wow, look at the bills we've racked up with her going through college. And uh, you would have thought with as much as it costs to go to college, she has been there a decade, but she's only been there now coming into her fourth year. So we got her fixed down there in Lakeland for her senior year. And so I've burned up a lot of miles on the road and um, focusing on all of these very important family things. And just last night was able to get before the Lord and, and say, Lord, it's, a, it's, it's an unusual day. I want to say something, hopefully, that's meaningful uh, to be able to stick within our series. We've been talking about how I love my church and how many of you know Jesus loves the church? And this whole year, I've just said this year, we're, gonna, we're just going to study and find out what Jesus loves, and we're going to love what Jesus loves. And I'm convinced Jesus loves the church, and he loves our church. He's just in love with churches. And uh, so we are spending at least the last few weeks on the I Love My Church topic, and uh, just to kind of catch everyone up, because I know everyone's here and we're learning and we're joining and we're figuring things out. And it's, how many of you, first off, are ready to stretch? Three of you. Okay. <laughs> there, no, come on now. Put your arm up by faith. I'm going to stretch a little bit. Come on. Stretching's good. That's what faith means. It means to stretch. And we're all going to be stretching some. And that's good. We're going to stretch with smiles on our faces. And uh, it's going to be a great ride. Um, but I have been sharing just some important and profound things that the last couple of months, I've just, I've just gotten a burden for these things. And one of them came out of Jeremiah 6.16. Now, again, I preach. I'm a teacher, I think, a little bit by nature. I, I, I understand there's probably a prophetic well in there as well. I tend to teach. I tend to be very outline-ish. I see life in an outline. Um, if you ever need an outline for anything, see me and I'll outline it quickly for you. Uh, that's just how I look at life. And so a lot of times in, in teaching or preaching, I just, I just outline everything. Uh, but every now and then, I'll, I'll break free from my outlines. And today may be a little bit as one of those days. As I share just some things that God's been putting in me. And one came out of Jeremiah 6.16. And this is what we read. It says, For thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it, 
Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Now, I've I've spent now decades in renewal circles, full gospel, charismatic circles, and we tend to have the mantra in our circles of God's doing a new thing. And and I understand that, that he does do new things. I have no problem with that concept. But sometimes I think we're so eager for the new, we forget the old. And, and there's just been a burden on me, especially for the next generation, and really for Christianity in America, that we have jettisoned some things that we need to lay hold of and maintain. You know, old's not bad just because it's old. Now, if it's religious, I get it. But there are some things that need to be maintained. Now, along with that is the passages in Genesis 26, which really birthed the Anson Street anniversary celebration. In Genesis 26... Uh, we read there where I believe it was Isaac went out and he redug the wells of his father. And he was redigging old wells, but he was redigging these old wells for fresh water. And I honestly believe that there are some old wells that need to be redug that have fresh water in them. And, and, and so I've just been sharing that old paths. I think the next slide, guys, if you could put that up. I believe I put this up there. It says old wells and old paths are not there because we're just getting older. Rather, there is a way and there is a well that never changes. In other words, you know, you know Jesus and, and the cross is over 2,000 years old, but we're not trading the cross in for something trendy. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ and the salvation he brings is forever unchangeable. And we need to walk in that path. And there are some old wells that need to be redug in order for us to get some fresh revelation and some fresh, just some fresh insight from God. I was down in Jacksonville. I'm going to get to 1 Thessalonians. I've not forgotten it. I was down in Jacksonville where my, my son and daughter-in-law are, where my grandson is. And we were sitting with them. And I, I asked before I got down there, I asked for about 45 minutes of uninterrupted time that I could just share with them. And so we sat down as a family. My, my middle son was there. My daughter was there. Uh, my oldest son, daughter-in-law, grandson. We were all sitting there. And I said, listen, the Lord doesn't promise us how long we may have. I, I'm believing that I'm going to preach into my 90s. I've made that confession for many days, you know, years, that I'm going to con- you know, preach into my 90s. So I, 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 I'm believing for many, many years, but you never know. You never know what could happen. And so I want to make sure we have this discussion before, before patriarch Papa Daddy leaves the scene. So I sat them all down in the living room. I really didn't tell my wife all that I was going to share. And I began to just encourage them and exhort them and really share with them my burden that, that our family tree needed to be planted in the house of the Lord, and we needed to be planted in the things of God, and that nothing, nothing needs to, you know, to displace us or, or transplant us out of that position. I don't know how many great-grandfathers ago, my great-great-great-great-grandfather, however many there were, the ones that, that got us over to America, the original Baird, we found out not too long ago was actually a Presbyterian minister who got on a ship, sailed across, from Scotland and came to America. Now, I don't know all the details. I haven't been able to find all the details. I just know enough to know that he was a Presbyterian pastor 
Actually, I had some salt water stained commentaries for years. And uh, through so many moves, I've lost the commentaries. I don't know where they are. So God bless whoever got the commentaries. But somewhere along the way, that, that old grandfather of mine, that Presbyterian pastor who sailed across the ocean to come to America, somewhere along the way in our lineage, the Bairds got off track. To by the time I arrive on the scene, back in 1959, so far as I know, there wasn't a righteous Baird in the tree. I, I mean, our family tree was, was, I mean, we weren't just rank pagans, but... but Wherever the immoral scale could slide, you know, we were certainly on that side of the scale. And so when I was 18 years old, in a really dramatic fashion, God plucked me out of our family tree and he saved me. And the key to my salvation was this. He got me to the bone. There were people in that time period who looked at me and said, that's just a phase you're going through. Well, 40 years later, I'm still in that phase. But the interesting thing that began to happen was, is that I began to share the gospel with family members. I, I first off shared it with my sister, and about seven years after getting saved, I was able to lead her to the Lord. We were able to influence my parents, and again, my, my parents have grown up in Methodism. There's probably no way we'll ever transplant them out of the Methodist church, despite the fact some of the things that are going on, I just shake my head at. But, but I'm, I'm seeing change that is taking place in my parents to where they're making the sounds, the sounds of, you know, Jesus is my Savior and, and, and being a part of Bible studies and these sorts of things. And I know that's through that influence. I also know that I have cousins and aunts and uncles because of that one conversion that God did in our family tree that we're beginning to see righteousness begin to spread through the family tree. And I got my kids together and I, and I sat them down and I said, listen, this is what has happened. I don't want it to stop with me or with you. I want our lineage to be known as a righteous lineage. And so here's my question. And this is what I put to the kids. I'm putting it to you too. What are you doing to protect, to pass along, and to perpetuate your Christian faith? Because I'm telling you, we are living in days of incredible hostility and adversity, and we're going to have to start thinking in these ways. There's a generation that's beginning just to float off the radar, and they don't even know if they want to be a part of church or God, or if they are, they're sort of making it up as they go along. And, and I'm just telling you, we've got, to, we've got to do something in order to let an anchor hold in order that they might know those paths. And they might walk in those paths. And so I told them the story and I told them what my hopes and I said, there's no way that I'm going to be able to, you know, oversee you. You're all adults now. I can't make you do anything, but I want God to use this moment in order to quicken something inside of you that asks the question, what am I going to do now with my son or my grandson? Where are you going to let him go to school? What are you going to let come into his life? What are you going to let him be influenced by? Who gets to, who gets to be his influencer? I want you to begin to think of these things. And then I have to leave the rest in God's hands. But that's been just a recent burden of mine. What are we going to do as the church? Because if we in America don't begin to think in these terms, we don't have but a generation or two before we aren't even going to know the church anymore. We aren't even going to, if we were even here, we wouldn't. And I know people will say, well, God always has a church and there'll always be a remnant. I get it. But I'm, but I'm asking you, will you be the remnant or will you be of the lineage that just, it just fades away? So, that's just been kind of a burden and an exhortation 
upon me. I've been asking myself, what, what am I going to do as a pastor? Some of that is the reason for my involvement in issues of revival and reformation. I know we need revival in order for this to happen. I know we need reformation for things to change. So these were just things that I was able to share with them. And finally, I, we finally corralled Jude. And I was able to lay hands on him. I did this to all my children when they were 12 years old. I gathered my children when they each turned 12 because that was in the Jewish mentality when they transitioned from, from really their childhood to adulthood. And I did this for all of my kids. I had them kneel in front of me. I really did this. I got a chair. I sat down. And when they turned 12, I made them kneel in front of me. And I laid my hands on their head. And I prayed and spoke the blessing over them. And I did it for all three of my children. Now, Jude's only three years old. The reason I did it at three was because number one is I wanted to influence the rest of my kids that they would do it with their children when they became of age. But I wanted the patriarch because I just don't know how many days I'll be around. I'd like to believe that I'll be here, you know, another 10 years and I can do that again and I'll be glad to do it. But I wanted to be able to get my hands on my grandson in an intentional way to be able to speak a blessing over him. I've got I became the preacher, my son is a preacher, and I'm believing for a third generation preacher. And I believe when we get to the fourth generation, just like God does, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you get Joseph, who's a world changer. And if we can begin to pass along the faith in that regard, I believe that whoever Jude's son may be, he'll be the nation shaker. But I've got to begin to do something in order for that to come to pass. I may never see it, I probably won't see it. But how many of you know I'm important in that, in that transmission? And my son is, and Jude will be. And that's how we've got to start thinking as the church. I may never see it. We may never see all that God has said to us. But we're important in all that. You're important in this. You've labored 40 years. I'll hold you up, doggone it. We're going to see. Doggone it, by the way, is like an amen. It's when you're in the flesh. Doggone it is a fleshly Amen. God's got something. He wouldn't speak these things if he didn't mean them. You're not done. You're just, you're just bearing the manifestation of an apostle. What do you think Paul looked like? I'm not, I'm not upset at you. It's just how I preach. <laughs> I thought, about, what did Paul look like? He's been whooped. He's been beat. He's been in oceans. He's been in jails. He's got this thorn in the flesh. He's apparently the short guy. He was balding. His eyes were bad. We know that because he had to have scribes travel with him. I mean, we were, we were told that when people looked at Paul, they said, well, he ain't much. How many of you know he was important? And that was the sign of an apostle. Because they, they looked at him, they couldn't say, well, he's sharp. You know, hey, he's got, he's got skinny jeans with holes in them with a t-shirt with an iron cross he's got his hair cut right he's got the cool glasses he must be an apostle no that isn't how it worked it was more like he limps he's got scars he's bald he doesn't have any glasses he can barely see he's wearing a toga he's got sandals my God, he isn't anything. And God says, exactly, that's because I can manifest my greatness in that. Woo, that's not even in my notes. Why do you think he would take... Can I just go with it? Why do you think he would take us in our brokenness? 
Listen, I know the story of abundant life and I live the story of legacy. We've had great days. I know the revival. I know the participants. I know what happened. I know God showed up. I know, I know, I know. And I know what God's done with us through the years and I know the heyday and I know the amazing services and I know all of those things and now all of a sudden here we are. And there's a piece of being a pastor that you're, you're, I don't know, it's not, I don't want to say it's embarrassment, but there's just a piece of a pastor that says, I really don't want to just speak reality because, oh God, it's reality is just hard. But why do you think God would take our brokenness? Why do you think God would take a reversal? Why do you think God would take a setback? Why do you think God would not have intervened somewhere along the line before all of that would have happened? Why did God, in His sovereignty, no matter how you see the Lord, obviously in His sovereignty He can see what's happening. Why would even God allow these sorts of things? Does He not know? Does He not care? Does He not see? I'm here to tell you there is a moment when you are positioned in your brokenness and even what appears to be death, that God says, now I can give resurrection power. I don't have to resurrect that which is phenomenal. I resurrect that which is dead or almost dead. And you know why he resurrects? It's because when people look at it, all they can say is, then that must have been God. That must have been God. Sure wasn't that bald guy. Sure wasn't that guy that shakes. It must have been God. And isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Amen. I don't want to keep you here all afternoon. I'm not taking a call here. I'm actually just keeping my time. Let me just read you a few verses. We usually stand. I'm not going to have you stand again. We usually stand in honor of God's word. But I just want to read to you some passages here. And, and let me leave you with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul speaking to the church, verse 2. I'm going to start with verse 2. Go ahead. And we read, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. I like the plural. What kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. And I'm just going to stop reading there. And I want to talk for about five minutes. Now that'll be a miracle. That'll be the first miracle about spiritual credibility. Spiritual credibility. You know, Paul ministered in Greek cities. You had mentioned a communion about Corinth. You know, the Corinthians had proven to be troublesome. They were troublesome 
in numerous respects. Obviously, their divisions, their immoralities, their fractions, their sectarianism, the whole book of First and Second Corinthians basically outlines Paul's rebuke and correction to them. And in his mind, in the Corinthian church, he had to do this because they were losing their credibility. Here's the deal. I think if we're not careful as Pentecostal people, if we haven't begun, we're going to lose our credibility. The reason I say that is because there was a day, especially when I first got into the things of the Spirit, there was a day that the reason that it was attractive to me, it wasn't just because there was this sense of God and the miraculous, and those things were certainly played into one of the reasons that I was drawn into those circles. But when you got around charismatic, full gospel, Pentecostal type people, there was something about them that always went back to the Word. They were people of the Word. You go back to the late 80s and the 90s, and man, it was Word, Word, Word. But I find it interesting that the days we're living in, instead of running to the Word, we have people running away from the Word. It seems like we're living in a day where where people that appreciate the Word are those people that don't believe in the things of the Spirit. And those that believe in the things of the Spirit don't ever seem to open their Bibles. And I'm here to tell you that I believe that there is a dearth of credibility in the land. Now, while that's not great news, there is good news. And the good news is this. God wants to bring credibility back to His church. And the Thessalonians, interestingly enough, were people that Paul said, I can look at you and you're credible. I'm going to tell you that everything that he wrote here, he's writing in order to affirm them in their credibility. And he says three things. This is what he affirms on the screen. Post those three real quick. Three things. He said, your work of faith. And how many of you know, faith has some work to it. I mean, you have to... You have to walk faith out. You have to, you have to you know, release things. You have to do things. You have to go out on limbs. Listen, we're in a walk of faith. We're in a work of faith right now. If God's going to do some great things in us all, we're going to do some work in it. He said there was credibility with your work of faith. He said your labor of love. I was looking this up in the original language. That phrase, labor of love, actually means that you worked in adversity or trouble one One writer said that if you follow the etymology, it literally means that you continued to do the work of the ministry while you were getting beat. That's credibility. Somebody's beating on you and you're saying, I'm still going to go with it. I'm still moving forward. He, he He said, that brings credibility. And the third thing he said was, is your patience of hope. Your patience of hope. In other words, you endured in such a way that you continually had an expectation that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. And this may be the hardest one of all. Because when you've labored at it for 40 plus years, and I've got at least 20 years in this city, when you've labored at it for this long, you want to look at the Lord and say, How much longer, O Lord? You feel like one of the saints under the altar. How much longer, O Lord? And His response is just a little bit longer. 
But that's credibility when you have this endurance of expectation where you don't quit, you don't throw in the towel, you don't walk away from it. You know that God will do what He said He would do no matter what the environment looks like. If God has said, and I believe He has, that revival will come to the holy city, then I believe that more than I believe anything else. Yes, there was a shooting on King Street. Yes, it was tragic. Yes, we had other shootings that have gone on in the holy city. I understand what the environment looks like. That does not phase me from believing what God has said. Revival will come. If you have a work of faith, a labor of love, and your patience of hope. Now the question is, how is that going to happen? How is that going to happen? Well, basically, he said in verse 5, it was through the gospel. And the gospel is indeed powerful. But the gospel is packaged, so to speak, in more than just the death, burial, and resurrection. Now hear me when I say this. Whenever I say this, and I'm running live right now, and I'm going to be on YouTube later, so I I know I'll get a thread going if I don't say this right. I understand that the gospel in its precision is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I get that. But hear me when I say how it's packaged, how God packages the power of the gospel comes in a far more comprehensive way than sometimes we've been used to receiving the gospel. When we say the gospel is the answer, we need to understand what the gospel really means and what the gospel really produces. Four quick things. I'm going to go through this quickly. Number one is this. There is precept. How many of you know when Jesus was amongst us, he taught the people precept. He taught them how to live. He taught them how to give. He taught them servanthood. He taught them uh, 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 compassion. He taught them mercy. He taught them all righteousness. He taught them these things. That's a part of the gospel is precept. Part of the gospel, living it out. Number two is power. Signs follow them that believe. So in other words, signs follow the gospel. The gospel must be demonstrated. That's what Paul said. It did not come to you in word only. It came to you in word, but it also came to you in power. Power to convert people. Power for healing. Power for deliverance. Paul would later say that in latter times that they would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the very power of God. And and again, I believe in signs and wonders and the gifts of the Spirit. We practice them all here amongst us. But I'm, I'm longing to see power again when people who are in sin are delivered. That's power. When you want to sin no more. That's power. Number three, he said, and in the Holy Spirit, there's presence. That's a part of the gospel. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead and he went and sat at the right hand of God the Father, all of that is good news and it's the gospel. But his his presence is still amongst us. His spirit is still amongst us. That's the gospel. Here's the good news. I'm not serving a story that happened 2,000 years ago. I'm serving a person who's with me today. He will neither leave me or forsake me. And then finally, there's passion. How does all this credibility happen? Precept, power, presence, and then passion. We got to get our passion back. We got to get spirit filled people, got to get passionate again. Do you understand? We are the only ones that are uniquely qualified to look people in the eye and say, I know a Jesus that if you're sick, he can heal you. If you're bound, he can free you. But most of us these days go, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. 
What happened to our passion, man? What, what happened to the passion that says, I got an answer. I know a savior. He can take care of it. He can do it. There's a conviction. There's a passion. This is the part for me, and I realize it's probably just me. I was saved in 1978. Something happened to me in 1978 that put a passion in me that I'll be the first to admit there have been ebbs and flows and there have been moments of discouragement. Don't misunderstand. I'm a normal person and I've gone through my discouraging moments and mountaintops, but there's always been something in me that was passionate about the things of God. There was a conviction in me. What's credibility? Credibility is in conviction. There's a conviction inside of us that, God, you're up to something, and we believe you can do it, and we are passionate about all of that. And then he says, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving you my outline quickly. I told you, I just, I think in outlines. He says, what is all that birth? In those verses, six and seven, it births four quick things. What'll happen is, when we get our credibility back, it'll birth number one, protégés. Because it's time that we thought about who am I passing along my Pentecostal heritage to? Do you understand that, that there's, there's a group right now? I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to go for it. We've got, we are planting churches at a greater rate in America than we have ever planted churches as, as a movement in the history of Christianity. More churches are getting planted. I got just this week, I got two more mail outs and invitations for church plants. And I'm all for it. That is great. But hear me when I say this. I'm all for planting churches. But who, who is passing along the Spirit-empowered life to the born-again believers? I want people to be born again, but I want them to be born again into the power of God. I want them to be born again into the things of God, into the presence of God. I want them to know that there's gifts available for them. I want them to know that there's another dimension available for them. I want them to know that there's a place in God that you can, you can go to where you have tools and things that he has given to you as a believer that can cut through all sorts of things and you can be in his presence and that you're a victor, not a victim. I, who's passing this along? I don't want to look at people and say, Jesus just identifies with where you're at and who you are. No way. Jesus wants to pull you out of where you're at and he wants to change who you are. That's the message. I'm not the same Kevin Baird I was prior to meeting Jesus and I'm sure not the same Kevin Baird that I was prior to getting baptized with the Holy Spirit. Who do we pass that along to? We got to think about that. You got to think about that in your kids and your grandkids. And pastor has to think about that in a church. We're passing something along. That's credibility. I'm not passing along death or pragmatism. I'm passing along spirit-filled and spirit-empowered existence. Proteges. Guess what else it births? It births persecution. The greatest days of the church were the days that they were under persecution. I guess that's my one solace, seeing all the articles on adversity. And that is that the Lord is allowing America to finally have the Petri dish that the first century church had that caused it to be so great. Do you understand, when you're thrown in catacombs, see, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's essentials of the doctrine, but when you're in a catacomb, you know, you're not, you're not getting too particular because you're both sitting in a cave as to who's sitting next to you. 
persecution. It will drive us together. It will drive us. Persecution is going to drive us to things that only God can answer. Number three, what is it birth? It births pleasure. In fact, in the original language, the actual phrase there, joy of the Holy Spirit, actually means, uh, it's actually meta keras or, or, or meta grace, or grace that abounds. In other words, people, people that become credible like this, man, they, they have grace that abounds. They're people that want want to be in it. They want to give. They, they want their life to mean something. They want to give themselves to something eternal. When you become credible, you don't have to beg people and cajole people, plead with people. To, Come on, jump on board. You, you're really going to like it. You're going to like it. We're serving hot dogs this week. You're going to like it. No, people are saying, where's the wagon going? I want to be on board. Let's go to the front line. God's called me to this. It's going to be incredible. God's going to move. We're going to see miracles. Giants are going to tumble. Walls are going to come down. Promised land is ahead. Yes. Yes. It births finally then patterns. He says, you became an example. You became a prototype or you became a first fruit. And this is just me being so bold because I feel like I'm under an anointing right now. When you're under an anointing, you say all kinds of things that you wish maybe you hadn't said later. But I'll just go ahead and say it. God's doing a first fruit amongst us. There's a first fruit of the kingdom, a prototype that's happening here. And I don't even know what all that may mean. But there's something that's happening. And we may not be able to define it, but God's in it. And it's going to become an example. It's going to become a pattern for what he wants to do in the earth. And I just believe as I wrap it right up here that I believe credible, spirit-filled believers are uniquely qualified at this time in our nation's history to crack the culture with the gospel. I don't believe we're out of style. I believe we're exactly the thing that this world needs and our nation needs. They need good old tongue-talking, devil-chasing, Bible-believing, spirit-empowered Christians. Because we're going to face things, I'm telling you, that you aren't going to know what to pray, so you better have your prayer language. You're going to face things where you're either going to have to turn tail and run or you're going to have to rise up and look the devil eye to eye and say, you don't scare me anymore. There are going to be some giants. And, and I'm just telling you, we are uniquely prepared and qualified to be able to address the issues of this era. I don't believe God's looking for the smartest people. I, I think he's looking for... I think he's looking for the most credible people that will believe, really believe him in his word so that he can manifest that through them. Revival and reformation. Making his name great. It's what we're about. And by the way, if you're on social media, we're learning to hashtag everything. Hashtag making his name great. That's all it's about is making his name great. Say, what, 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 what's that church about? Making his name great. What are you all up to this week? Making his name great. What program do you have? Making his name great. 
Oh, I have so many things. Making his name great. Do you have a good coffee bar? Making his name great. Do you have fog machines? Making his name great. I'm not against that. I'm just saying we're making his name great. Amen. Amen. My friend, come and dismiss us, will you? Come. Will you all stand with me, please?